We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. And I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end reach up underneath the door curl up to grab it and then disappear it's almost like they're unzippering our reality they stick their heads through and they look around and if it looks like the coast is clear they step through the rest of the direction if you take the head you get the whole package if you don't take the head off then what happens is they disappear This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. But then I look over to my left, on the far side of the room, and there's Jack. And he's got blood on his face. He looks at me, and he just says one word. Oops. I've been killing ETs longer than most people have careers. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud featured show on blogtalkradio.com. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. I want to remind everybody we're going to Frank Saris Library in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. My brother and I will be out there on April 14th, 2018. It's going to be a town hall meeting where people are going to be sharing their personal Bigfoot stories. And I'm actually going to be doing a live interview right there with Tom from episode one, where the farmer saw two Sasquatch. 
So he's going to be out there. We're going to be doing a live interview because he's from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. That's where he saw these things. So it's going to be a great time. Come on out, hang out with me and everybody else. There's going to be some great speakers out there. If you're within a four to five hour radius of Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, I highly encourage you to make the road trip out to meet me and hang out with everybody. And we'll even go out for dinner afterwards to the Applebee's right there in Cannonsburg. So Have some fun with me on April 14th, 2018 in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania at the Frank Saris Library. Now, moving on to this week's iTunes shout outs. If you don't have iTunes, go ahead and share this show on social media and that will help us out a ton. But if you do have iTunes, go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review and we'll shout you out on the next week's show. So this week's shout outs is Backhus Shopper, Kayak Fly Fisher, Big Herb, Shane Chubb, Scoop Son, Interested in Organ, and Beloved Warrior. And I also want to let you guys know that I think that iTunes does not show me out-of-country ratings and reviews because I had a listener email me this past week telling me that I did not give them a shout-out when he sent me a screenshot of the date and time that he posted his review. I did not have it on my end. So if you're not in the United States, I might not be getting your reviews So if you send me an email with a screenshot of your review, I can definitely give you a shout out. So this week's out of country shout outs is MJW737, WKDI UK, Bix Barton. Thanks guys for leaving that rating and review. Even though I didn't shout you out when you put it up there, I really appreciate you getting a hold of me and letting me know that, hey, I think there's something up here. So we'll get this figured out here eventually. Now, moving on to the Patreon shoutouts, I want to let you guys know tomorrow night, April 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be doing our monthly live patron show where we're bringing back on Lisa from the Other Side of Dogman episode, episode 59. She's going to come on and talk more about Dogman and her Bigfoot experiences. So if you're interested in talking with Lisa, because there's going to be a live call-in number for this show, Feel free to sign up as a patron and you'll have access to talking to me and Lisa live on the show. Now, this week's Patreon shoutouts is Michelle J, Jeremiah T, Donna R, Denise M, Greg G, Joseph S, Nathan M, Seth C, Edward S, Brian F, Julie P, Aaron D, and Shauna C. Thanks so much for going to Patreon and signing up to be a patron and helping the future of this show. It means a lot to me because I know you guys actually really do care about the future of this show and the direction we're heading. Now, all the patrons that signed up, please go ahead and friend request me on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash TB Merkel. Facebook.com backslash TB Merkel. When you do that, I'll be able to add you to the secret Facebook group where a lot of fun happens on a daily basis. Now, let's get to tonight's show. We have a family coming on for an interview that was in Vegas the night the shooting happened with Stephen Paddock. Their daughter, Claire, was in the concert as the firing started. Mom and dad were in their room, in the Mandalay Bay, in the room below Stephen Paddock. So as Stephen Paddock was firing down the crowd, firing down on their daughter, they were in the room below Stephen Paddock. And they come on tonight to share their story of what happened that night and what they experienced. Let's get to it right after this. 
Yeah, so there was a lady who pushed her way forward into the concert venue into the first row, and she started messing with another lady and told us that we are all going to die tonight. My father was on the top ten list for a while. His name's Benjamin Hodgkins Paddock. I believe this is his name. I didn't, I didn't know him. We didn't know him. There's no... He was in jail and broken out of jail. 58 people now dead. More than 500 people wounded in a horrific shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. It's the deadliest mass shooting in modern United States history. Because look at this. I mean, you look at the, the, the weapon obtaining um, the different amounts of tannerite available. Um, do you think this was all accomplished on his own? Self-value, um, face value. you got to make the assumption that he had to have some help at some point. started laying down as well and somebody got hit there that was laying right in front of me um, his body um, you heard him cry out and he flinched and he kicked me in the head shooter at the Bellagio and there's no there, there's no mistake in my mind about that this is something that happened and it, it we were there Okay, tonight I have a really uh, special show coming on. We were contacted by a lady named Clarissa, and Claire actually said that she was part of the Route 91 Vegas Festival that had the shooting happen last year on October 1st. Uh, she joins us with her parents, Annette and Dave. So how are you guys doing today? Good. Doing good. Yeah, not too bad. Awesome. So... Claire, you contacted me and told me, you know, a short snippet of what you had to say. And you said if I was interested to contact you back, I was very much interested. So I was really glad that you were patient with me because I think at some point I had forgotten to get back to you. And uh, I'm just really glad we're able to actually 
do this interview tonight because it's very important to get people's stories out as to what happened with this Vegas shooting. Because you're right, in the interview you said, or not the interview, in the email you said this, and you're absolutely right. It seems like they're covering it up. It seems like the information just kind of hit a dead a dead end, a brick wall, and we don't get any more information about it. And I think the best way for us to learn what happened that day is for people to come forward and share their stories, who were there, who were involved. And uh, you saw the show on YouTube and you contacted me. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have a more of a discussion platform and we're going to start with Annette because kind of your story all starts with Annette, uh, seeing something on Sunday morning. So Annette, if you would just kind of start detailing with us what you saw, don't be shy with the uh, details of what you have to say, go ahead and just lay it all out there for us. Okay. On Sunday morning, me and, um, JV were heading to breakfast. And um, we were leaving the Mandolin Bay, going into the Excalibur, and um, or the Luxor, Dave. Luxor. The Luxor. And um, I was noticing someone with a camera, uh, phone camera, and they were like on a FaceTime type of thing where you can see the other person on the phone. And I was looking at him and the way he was talking to this person and the way the person was talking to him, it kind of made me uneasy. And he was kind of going around the, um, the, the hotel with his camera, kind of like, not like showing it with his hand, you know, like panning it around type of thing. And I told Dave, I said, Dave, that's kind of weird. Should I say something like that makes me uncomfortable. And, um, and my husband was like, well, no, not really, because, you know, we don't want people to think we're racist or something, because the the person I saw doing that was like, in, um, what would you call it, attire, like? Uh, like, maybe traditional uh, imam type clothing. Yeah. Okay. And so I, and, but he was like, you know, when you're on the phone, usually your voice is in a stern, but he was like, it just, I don't know, it just gave me a weird feeling. but what was weird about it is that he was um, showing the guy like slowly, like looking around the room, you know, and talking. And it wasn't like he was doing it quickly. By the time we got up the escalator and I was looking down and I stood up there for a while and he was still panning it around. Well, then the day went on and we thought nothing of it <laughs> after that, you know, my husband's like, no, let's just go. And so we went, we went to go eat. And then, um, the kids met us there. And then um, we were, we stayed at the Mandolin Bay. I, I'm not sure if Clarissa had told you that. And we stayed um, under the shooter. We were in room. Uh, 31st floor, room 127. Yeah. So directly under Stephen Pavlov. Yeah, like under him. And um, it was funny because I kept telling Dave, something's keeping me up all night. Like, can we move rooms? You know, and the kids and Dave were like, we're settled. Let's just stay here. And I'm like, I don't know. I have a weird feeling about this, but okay. You know, I was outnumbered. Wow. So, um, <laughs> so this, this mom's always right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. So we stayed anyhow, the, we went, we we're enjoying the day. We had enjoyed the concert, um, the night before. And, um, Friday night and um, 
everything was going good. And we were so excited because actually I won these tickets to go. And um, so we were, and Dave hardly ever takes off work to go on vacation or do anything. So we were all excited to go. And um, so everything was nice and fine. And um, then when that night, um, we had left the kid, we had just left the kids there. We were going to go pack up for to leave early Monday morning. So we just left the kids there and I was like, be safe. I love you guys to her and Blake, her boyfriend. And then, um, me and Dave headed back to the hotel. We got to our room and, um, since they have, you know, uh, a shower and a bath, I thought, oh, it'd be so nice to take a bath. That would be tears. So I took a bath. When I got out, it was like somewhere between, what time was it? Like, probably, it was before 10. I know for sure it was before 10. And it might have been 9.45-ish. Yeah, I think it was yeah. 9.45. And um, I got out. I was getting ready. And I was, like, thinking, what am I going to start packing? And then I heard gunshots. And I was like, I heard, and I was like, Dave, Dave, and he he comes down the back. He's like, "Do you hear that?" And he's like, "It stopped for a minute, you know, a little bit, and then it started again." And I said, "Dave, that's gunshots, you know." And I grab my cell phone and I start calling nine one one, and it wouldn't go through my nine one one call. So then I tried again, and it said something like a recording picked up saying to to call something or call a different number, and I was like, I couldn't for the life of me think, cause I was like panicky and I'm like, I hear gunshots. And I'm trying to call 911 and it's still, I'm still dialing 911 instead of doing what, you know, the phone recorder was telling me to do. So then I gave up on that <laughs> because Clarissa at that point called, right Dave? Yeah. And she called and she's like, mom, they're, they're shooting. I love you. I love dad if we don't make it. And I'm like, what? Wait, no, baby. They're shooting here. I hear it here. I hear it here. I'm in my room. I hear it. And then I hand the phone to Dave while I'm still trying to call 911 on my other, on because she called his phone. We had, we both have our own cell phones. And, um, and then Dave, Dave thought it was like a tool or something. Yeah, I thought it was. I used to be a plumber, so it sounded like when a pipe's not strapped in the wall, right, and it uh, it hammers like that. It sounded like a water hammer. I'm like, no, it's a water hammer. It's uh, poor, poor uh, plumbing in the building. And I'm like, it's not a water hammer. <laughs> yeah, as soon as we heard the next series, he's like, it's not, you know, and I was like, yeah. And then he's still on the phone with, with Claire, and we, you know, and she's talking to Davey. I'm on the phone with my I, I called my parents at that point and I said, something's going on. It's not going to be on the news right now, but they're shooting up the concert, but I don't know if they're shooting here in the mandolin bay because I hear it here. And my dad's like, well, be smart, be careful, you know? And I said, okay. Um, so I'm on the phone and I'm trying to think of what I thought. That's when everything came back to me about Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, is this a terrorist attack on the mandolin bay? You know what I mean? Are they shooting up the hotel? I mean, I didn't know if it was like a bunch of people like shooting, walking up and down, shooting in the room because it was so loud and so close to us. So it was a bit scary. And um, but then when Claire said they were shooting at the concert, I'm like, wait, is it just are they shooting everywhere? I I just didn't really know, really know why. But what did Claire say to you then? So when Claire uh, 
and I were talking on the phone. She said they're shooting out of a helicopter at us, and I said, "Well, they're I, they're shooting here." And she said, "No, they're shooting out of a helicopter at us." And um, I remember hearing uh, as she's talking to me, hearing gunshots through the phone, and also going off uh, in the room above us as well. And um, so she was, you know, pretty panicked, and uh, obviously. Um, and I remember her telling uh, me about people, you know, just going chaotic and her and Blake uh, were trying to get out of the concert. So they were running, you know, through the, through the crowd. We told you run to run, Claire, run, get out of there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what it was about it, but, and that, that's something that I thought was really interesting in uh, one of your interviews as you were talking about the helicopters and um, there was one that like, you know, went off path or something, something around that. And so that's what, that was what was really interesting to me because I don't know if it was just the adrenaline or if it was the panic, but I was so unbelievably certain that it was coming from the helicopter because it was so close. And I remember thinking, why is it that close? Oh my God. I think it's, I think the shooting is coming from the helicopter. And so, I mean, I, still <laughs> kind of believe that because I just in that moment was so so certain just un, not a doubt in my mind that there was shooting coming from the helicopter yeah I think when you told me that um, I said no it's from up here it's up yeah here. I can hear it yeah and she did she's like no no boo it's coming from it's coming from here and I'm like no it's not what are you talking about and I was just so confused and like even more panicked after that I was like where is it coming from then? Because I swear it's coming from right here. Holy cow. That's, I mean, I, I, I don't want to cut you guys off, uh, but I, I, I would like to ask you, Claire, when you said it's coming from a helicopter and you were convinced of that and you saw the helicopter, I don't know if you ever saw any of the videos online of that helicopter and it looks like there's flashing light coming out of the helicopter, like almost like a gunshot at the, at the, um, at the concert. Did you see any of that in person? You know, I don't remember because I was kind of running and looking back. So I wasn't like just staring at it. But I do remember like seeing they have those openings on the side. And I could see like a, a shadow, like not facing, uh, like facing out towards us. So not like sitting back how you would in a helicopter strapped in. He was like, or, you know, they were like, looking down at us and it was like i could see their heads then underneath i could see like a big blob and i'm like i couldn't i couldn't tell what that was and so i think that's another reason why i was really sure about it because they were like looking down on us and i i really wish like i could remember every single detail with that night but i just for some reason i just knew it was coming out of that helicopter but just as as far as the flashing there was there was a lot of lights down there, and so I can't say for sure what I saw, but I was pretty certain at that time that it came out of the helicopter. Yeah, she kept telling her dad that. Yeah, she she was very 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 clear. No, it's coming out of the helicopter. It's coming out of the helicopter. Yeah, we're trying to convince her that it wasn't that it's just <laughs> above us. No, we we know we can hear it. It's above us. It's, we hear it. You know, and um. Yeah. Yeah. That was, 
Yeah, and is and as far as the the gunshots, I mean, it, it was no. Once I realized that it was in fact not a pipe rattling on the wall, um, you could hear it coming through very clear. I heard every single shot. Yeah. That was coming from you know from above us. And uh, Claire Claire was back at the concert with Blake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so actually he is my hero because he did take care of Clarissa. Oh, yeah. He was when we couldn't be there because all we wanted to do was get out of the hotel and run to Clarissa. She's our she's our she's our uh, youngest, <laughs> and um, she's our baby. And uh, you know we wanted to get to her, and I was grateful to Blake that he, you know, when the gun started going off, that he or you know the it, he he you know had her run pushed her down he was over her you know he protected her with his own life and i will forever be grateful for that part of it <laughs> but yeah they had a, a scary time running you know from yeah we were me and my boyfriend blake um yeah he was he was just amazing he was my rock through that whole thing but we were at the concert towards the back, like towards the back in the middle, more towards like um the bleacher section. And um yeah, we we heard shots and I remember hearing it and like pretty much right away I knew it was gunfire and I'm like, but nobody else was panicking and I'm like, why why isn't anybody else panicking? This is gunshots. Like what are, why is everybody just standing here? And then you hear some guy and he's like he just gets up and he starts yelling. He's like, this is real. This is real. This isn't a joke. You need to run. This is real. And then everybody started panicking and running after that. Mm-hmm. And then we, we somehow made it from the concert to the MGM grand. And I can't remember exactly what streets we went up or how exactly we got there, but I was, um, looking at a map, and I'm pretty sure it was we got out onto Glistle Street somehow, ran up probably like behind the Tropicana, crossed Tropicana um, Avenue, and then got into the MGM Grand. And I think the casino is facing that street because I do remember being in the casino first. Mm-hmm. And so I think somehow we <laughs> maneuvered our way over there. So when you were running out of the concert uh, and it was paranoia everywhere uh, from the point, I I think you said you were near the bleachers and that person that yelled, this isn't a drill. This isn't a drill. I'm kind of curious and there's probably no way you could ever confirm or deny, but I know Rick, the guy who I had on my show previously, he was one of the first people that realized that this was not for a fake thing. And he had his, group getting together and get out of here and he had said that people were like what are you doing it's not it's just fireworks and uh i I just i'm curious i am curious to see if you know you saw rick leaving Uh, it'd be a weird coincidence (laughs) yeah you know i don't remember seeing anybody like walk away um and i don't i i didn't see who yelled it but i just remember like and then I think that was like just like a second before Jason Aldean stopped singing or it might've been like as soon as he stopped singing. But 
I don't I don't remember seeing him or if it was like a group because I know um Rick was in a group of people. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That would be a weird coincidence that I didn't actually see who it was. Okay. And when you were when you were running out of the concert, uh Rick had described seeing people falling down from gunshots, things like that. Is that a similar situation that you saw or were you kinda pretty much out of there pretty quickly? We were out of there pretty quick, but um my my boyfriend Blake, however, like when we got, you know, to like a calmer, safer place, we noticed that he had blood on his shirt and it wasn't from either of us, so but you also try to help that girl. Yeah, there there was a girl who was getting trampled by everyone and I just I remember her I remember seeing her laying there like, you know, trying to squirm out, trying to she was yelling because, you know, nobody stopped to help her and so I tried grabbing her arm, lifting her up. I'm like, you need to get up. You need to go. Like, girl, come on, get up. And and then I started getting trampled. And then my boyfriend kind of, like, pushed me to get me out of that little... Because it was kind of behind um, one of, like, the vendors. So it was, like, a small space. And everybody was just trampling through it. And I did, I did see people... And I don't know if they were shot or if they just fell or what, but I did see people, you know, stumbling and falling. And I would like to think that it wasn't anybody who got shot, but I, I yeah. And this is really Clarissa's, like, second time ever really talking about this. So I'm happy she's opening up to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. It, you know, Clarissa, when you were running out of there, was there ever any point in time that, you did realize that there was shooting coming from the Mandalay Bay or is the whole time you're there thinking that it was coming from a helicopter, even though your parents said it was right above them? I, I didn't see anything from the Mandalay Bay. I did believe them because I'm just like, okay, well, my parents are telling me this. So, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's coming from there. And I'm like, but then is it also coming from here? I'm like, is and then I started thinking, okay, so there has to be more than one person. This has to be like, is there people on the ground also? Are they coming towards us? Where are they coming from? Are they going to be on the strip? Where do we go? Yeah. And when I told her to run, I wasn't, I, when she said they were shooting at the concert, I said, well, then you're the target. Ditch your, ditch your band, you know, your wristbands, just your country hat, ditch your boots. You know, I, mm-hmm. if you're the target, take your target off your back, boo, and run, you know? Cause I, I mean, I didn't really know what, why, what, we still don't know why or what, you know, but, um, she did. They did. They both did. Yeah. And, th- and that's a problem that we have. So, so little answers as to what actually happened that day. And all we have is people's firsthand accounts coming forward and totally messing up the narrative that they're trying to push to us. And they're not even trying to push. They're not even trying to push anything to us anymore. It's been forgotten. I mean, two, three weeks after it happened, all of a sudden we have this uh, terrorist attack in New York City. And then we had the shooting in the churches in Vegas and or not Vegas in Texas. And then uh, the Vegas shooting is just old news. And that's one of the problems that we have with today's society is that we have the social media driven society where everything moves so fast that today's news is already old news. And so when something bad happens like Vegas, people move on from it way too quickly. And it just aids to 
anybody who would want to cover something up and, you know, hopefully have people forget what the truth is or trying to find the truth. The fact that our society moves so fast from one thing to another really helps people cover things up, whoever those people are. And uh, I know, I know, Claire, you mentioned in the email that you felt like there was some kind of cover up going on. What makes you feel that? I mean, what, what, what are some of the details? Is it that you felt like there was two shooters and they're telling you there's one? Uh, did anybody ever reach out to you asking what happened as far as law enforcement goes? Did the FBI ever reach out to you guys? No. And see, that's a, that is what has made me so suspicious of this is that we, whether or not people believe that we were key witnesses, we were staying in the room directly underneath him. Whether or not you think we really have anything important to say, we should have still been contacted. And we were never contacted by anyone. Nobody really took my parents' statements. And, I mean, we're not hard to find. <laughs> we're not hard people right. to find. They have, you know, our information in the hotel records. And the fact that nobody has reached out to us to try to, like, get our story or anything just makes me feel so uneasy because... They should have. That's their job. Right. Or even the fact that um, when, uh, was it ISIS that said they took uh, responsibility for this shooting? And I was just like, and then when I saw Sunday, I was like, well, me, maybe maybe we don't need to say anything. Maybe we don't need to talk. Maybe the FBI just needs time to figure this out. But it they've had time. And nobody's asked us any questions. Nobody's asked us any anything at all. Like no, no phone calls, no interview, nothing. I mean, when, when we did find Clarissa and Blake after all this, when we finally got out of the Mandolin Bay, I'll get to that. But, um, somebody took our picture and, um, that's the one I sent. Yeah. And they, they had it in people magazine in the orange County register and stuff. And even through that, I thought maybe, maybe, the uh, news or maybe even the FBI or the police would want to talk to us, but we haven't had not had any contact with any of them. Yeah. You would think that when that picture gets posted like that, the authorities would say, who are these people? Clearly they were there. We want to find out what they experienced because we're trying to put this puzzle together. And the fact that they didn't reach out and you're right. It's not hard to find you. Uh, you know, I might be a little bit more conspiratorial minded than many people, but I, I believe that they, if they want to find you, they're going to find you. And it's 2018 and any secrets that we think we have, we don't really have. They know everything. And so, I mean, when it comes to this kind of stuff, they know how to get a hold of you. They know who was in every room of that hotel that day, that week. They know everything. And they should have already by now reached out to the people who were directly underneath him when the shooting was happening. Uh, So Annette and Dave, you guys are in the room and your daughter's at the concert. She's getting fired at. She's saying a helicopter. You guys are saying, no, it's coming from the hotel. Uh, What happened? You guys are in your room. What were your next steps? What happened from that point? Um, Well, I was on the phone with my dad and I was scared. I said, dad, I, I'm more scared and concerned for Clarissa and and Blake because for one, I won these tickets. This was supposed to be the best thing ever. And it was Blake's first concert, both of their first times to Vegas. And I'm like, just find them, dad, just find them. If something happens to me and Dave, because like I said, what I saw on Sunday and just, we had no idea what was going on. 
the shots were so close to us. My mind's going crazy. I'm telling my dad, you know, he's saying, play it smart, Miha. Play it smart. Put a, uh, put, you know, block the doors, you know, put a chair under there. Just, you know, just make it hard for them if, you know, anything. And he's trying to find out what's going on. My, my um, stepmom's calling the Mandolin Bay. She calls the Mandolin Bay. They say nothing to her. They put her through to the room. And the room's ringing. I answer because me and my dad got disconnected. I answer the phone, and my stepmom's like, "They didn't say anything. They didn't tell tell us anything that that's going on." And I said, "Well, that's kind of weird because it by now it it had been what maybe ten minutes now into this. I mean, it seemed like forever." So um, when I was going back in my phone logs to see when I called nine one one and stuff, it was it was before ten. So when this they came on saying it started at 10. I was like, no, nope, it started earlier. And um, before you go any further, I, I, I would like to ask you about that. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. What was the official time that they said that he started and stopped shooting? Do you know that? I want to say that the starting was like 10.08 or 10.05. Yeah, I don't remember. I think you rings the bell. Well, because they changed it a couple of times. Yeah, there was there was a few different times that I heard, but I think the last official one was ten oh eight. Okay, so let's just say ten oh eight. And what time did you call nine one one the first time? The first time, um, I want to say I told I told my husband, "Well, don't erase them." Um, I want to say that the first time I called was at nine, like nine. 40. I want to say it was like 945-ish, somewhere around there. Yeah. It was way before 10. Yeah. Okay. Because then when we called my dad, and I'm looking at the logs that I called my dad, it was before it was before 10, too. All right. So, so uh, all right. So let's just say 20, 25 minutes before the official narrative says that shooting had started, you guys are calling 911. Now, when you called 911, right. was it before or after you talked to Clarissa? Before. It was before I was calling nine one one as she was calling. We I have we have two cell phones, so I was calling on my phone, and I believe they called Davy's phone. Yeah. And um, so I was calling nine one one, and I don't know why nine one one didn't work, but it could. I don't know why it was sending me to a recording, but I kept trying to call, and um, you know, in hindsight, when you think about it, I should have probably just got on the mandolin bay phone and tried to call 911. But I don't know why I grabbed my cell phone and started calling. I mean, these are the things you think about afterwards. Well, but, uh, so, I mean, I mean, what's the time frame here as far as you calling 911 and also talking to your daughter? Are we talking 10 minutes, 15 minutes time gap or five minutes, two minutes? No, no. No, we're talking a couple. Of, like I'm, I'm, I'm calling nine one one still, and I think that's when she still. Yeah, she was trying you. to get through to nine one one. Okay. When it when Claire called my phone, so it was it was basically simultaneously. Okay, so let's just for you know generosity's sake, let's just say twenty twenty minutes before the official narrative of them saying the shooting started. You're on the phone with trying to get on the phone with 911. You're talking to your daughter, and your daughter's saying there's a helicopter firing down on her. You're saying the gunshots are coming from where you're at. And this is roughly, generously speaking, 20 minutes before they said that it actually even started. And on top of that, you're telling me 911 didn't work 20 minutes before they officially say the shooting even started. And that concerns me. 
that really concerns me because I've never heard, and I, I mean, I, I very much could be wrong, but I personally have never heard of a situation where people called 911 and couldn't get through other than 9-11 when all the certain networks went down because everybody was calling everybody, which is understandable because we know that there was an emergency. The fact that they're saying right. there was no emergency at this time that you were trying to call 911, why were you not able to connect to 911? I mean, if you... There, there's so many safeguards on your phone that if you need to call 911, they make it so easy for you because they want it to be very easy and accessible. And the fact that they, you could not dial 911, that's very concerning to me. It's very concerning to me. Uh, and I know you find it suspicious it, it too, as well. I kept thinking, I'm sorry. And too, I kept thinking, well, am I dialing 911 wrong? But how can I? No, 911. And I call it again. And it's that stupid recording. I was getting frustrated because my mind was thinking about Claire and I'm trying to call 911 and it's telling me to call something else. I don't know what it was saying. Really. The recording was saying something. And I was just like, I need to get through to 911. And then, and then, um, and then I was too concerned about course. And I was like, what do I do, Dave? You know? And he's like, um, I think at that point we heard helicopters or something. Yeah. There was a lot of activity in the air. Um, and the other thing too, that bothers me through all this is, um, you know, all these things in an in investigative reporting or uh, investigation is all you got to do is if you have somebody who's saying, hey, I heard this and that. OK, if they're a liar, go check their phone records. Oh, they're they never made a call. Oh, then they're a liar. Oh, they made a call. Oh, I guess they're not lying. Right. It's simple. Right. It's simple, simple things to, to prove or disprove. And, you know, as far as, um, you know, that goes, no. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just take a break right now. And when we come back, we'll jump right back into it, guys. So just hang in there with me. I'd like to talk to you about our friends over at Astonishing Legends. Scott and Forrest, they've been putting on this podcast called Astonishing Legends for much longer than The Confessionals has even been around. And they've been doing it strong for a very long time. You're going to get a quality podcast with Astonishing Legends. And if you like The Confessionals, if you love The Confessionals, you will love Astonishing Legends because Astonishing Legends focuses on strange and unusual events that happen throughout history. They have a team of people that they work with. Now, here at The Confessionals, it's me and my wife, Lindsay, doing all the work on a weekly basis to put out a show for you that you enjoy. Over there, they have a team of people doing this work. They have a research department, a sound design department, editors. They got it all, really. They absolutely have it all covered. And so if you want a new podcast to listen to, that has quality research done on it, talks about the things that you like hearing about, and you're going to walk away feeling you're more educated, Astonishing Legends is that podcast. Go to Astonishing Legends right now and check them out. Check them out on iTunes and hit the subscribe button because I'm telling you right now, you won't regret it. AstonishingLegends.com. Check them out. And if you want to reach out to them, go to AstonishingContact at gmail.com. That's AstonishingContact at gmail.com and they'll get back to you because they have a correspondent department so they have it all covered i'm telling you guys you're not gonna regret it check out astonishing legends right after the show and that's the thing dave i mean it's so simple to prove or disprove and the fact that they're not doing it that is the biggest question mark of it all why 
like that this is the this is their job right this is their job to investigate it and find out what happened how did he get all the guns up there who was it more than just one person all this stuff and the simple thing of checking phone records to verify your story that has not been heard yet that it, it, it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and dave you said that there was a lot of activity in the air uh is that yeah, does, what do you I, mean by that i'm sorry go ahead nope go ahead um, I was just saying, yeah, because even when we're sitting in the room, um, I mean, maybe this isn't the, the most nice thing to say, but I remember sitting in the room uh, when all this was going on, and I'm thinking, my 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 gut was saying, they, they're probably just, you know, hitting a bunch of hotels all at once, and the whole system is overwhelmed. Because um, I, I we had, a, obviously, uh, access to the window, and I'm looking, I had the blinds cracked slightly, and I was just looking out for the uh, curtains crack slightly. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at the reflection, uh, in the other hotels because I didn't know at different points in time when they, when they breached the door and I heard the gun blast, I thought they just blew the floor. Yes. Um, so I'm looking for a fire coming out the side of the building. I didn't see anything like that, but I'm seeing all kinds of helicopters all over during the whole, this whole, um, incident. And my, I'm a hundred percent gut feeling was when this started happening that they're just going to hit a bunch of hotels all at one time. And this is going to be a huge terrorist attack. Um, and when Annette told me about the individual, um, since we're able to speak open, I, I felt like, yeah, he was setting up, uh, information for his counterpart on the other end of the phone to have a, uh, bird's eye view of the, the, uh, hotel casino as we're going up the, uh, escalator as she was talking about on Sunday morning. Uh, he's giving him a good, just a good look around if this is what, how the layout is. And so hearing that from my wife and, and seeing, you know, her reaction to all this, uh, she doesn't really scare too easy. And, um, when she told me that I, you know, I'm a white guy, I'm sure we're still allowed to say that on the radio um, she's mexican so we're not we're not like we're a couple of uh inbred rednecks and, you know, but uh you know so you know we're pretty open-minded and um you know my reaction was because of the way things are now that yeah you don't want to be labeled as as the uh, uh islamophobe or the uh, homophobe or this phobe or that a phobe or the racist or what have you but um and I think as a result of that, it's taken out um, our ability to use our uneasy feelings about a certain situation, regardless of what the individual may be dressed as or uh, look like or uh, gender. We've uh, lost the ability to say, no, something just doesn't seem right, yeah. irregardless of what the individual uh, may look like. Right. And um, just with that kind of as a backdrop, into that it um it kind of just made me feel like uh there's something bigger going on than just this immediate area that we're uh locked down in in this hotel and i i still feel as though there was yeah. multiple things going on in multiple hotels it, it took them a while to tell us they rang a bell and it wasn't really telling us that anything was wrong they just said it was a warning system or something like that the mandolin bay this was after a while though um, and when we were in the room, I was, I did fall on my knees and pray for my daughter. I was just like, please God protect her and watch over. And I, you know, told my dad, pray for us. 
and I love you all if we didn't make it or whatnot, because I have no idea what's happening. And when we heard them breach the door, we didn't know what that was. I thought they set off a bomb in the hotel, and I, and I just text my family, I love you, bomb, because I just wanted them to know how I went, if that's how I was going to go. So, you know, don't want people wondering. That's hard. Anyhow, yeah. um, and so we... Uh, Dave, like he said, he looked out the window to see if there was smoke or anything. And if there was, we were just going to run for it no matter what. And, um, but then that alarm went off. Did that go off after or before? Um, so I, the alarm went off, I believe, if I remember correctly, when they breached the door. And I think it was because of the uh, uh, explosives, but I'm not sure. It could have gone off before just because he was, you know, popping off so many rounds. It didn't say in your room or anything it was just this is um a warning bell or something yeah it was like an a it's like an automated you know like smoke alarm kind of thing yeah and um yeah. all right so you guys are talking about them breaching Stephen paddock's room am i am i correct in correct. saying that okay right. correct. now how yeah. long before you hear that be- that loud boom that did you stop hearing gunfire i mean was the gunfire oh, going up till that point or not we heard it dave heard it, it. non-stop i mean yeah. he just was going and going and going um but after they reached the door you heard it yeah after the, what happened what i heard was gunfire a lot of gunfire i heard the door pop and then i heard somebody uh shoot right after the door right after the the bomb really yeah because and here's the thing um to if i could just back up one moment go for it um i i'm hearing uh uh, people running through the hall, SWAT right. guys running through the hall, and uh, obviously we're unarmed. I mean, we can't carry. He was the only one that was allowed to carry a gun. Apparently, um, we're in the room, and I'm hearing people going back and forth. And I'm thinking, well, what what's going on? Are there people going door to door shooting people? Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. So the only thing that's going through my mind is because my wife was at that point uh, huddled in the bathroom. She was pretty pretty scared so i'm thinking well what do i do do i have to uh break a mirror wrap in a towel and and uh, to protect ourselves or something you know you know that we didn't really have anything you know other to protect ourselves and um because like i said i'm hearing people running through the hall yeah we didn't know who it was going through the hallway and then come to find out you know as i'm kind of looking at the side of the uh standing on the side of the door kind of peeping through the uh window uh you know, the door window, whatever you call it, little people thing. I saw some SWAT guys running through. And um, so they were, it seemed to me, I guess, going floor to floor is what it actually was. Um, but I definitely heard a gunshot after they breached the door. Yeah, it came out later, though, that an officer did discharge his gun after. But they weren't saying that in the beginning either. And, I mean, keep in mind, I have no, I have no problems with them taking out an armed suspect. I mean, that's... Mm. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So when they were coming door to door, they they um, they knocked on the door and they they told us police and um, they had us get out of the room and they swept the room. And um, actually, they were really kind to us. Yeah, they were phenomenal. Yeah, we told them about Claire and that we didn't know where she was and that they that she ended up somehow we think at the MGM and that they were shipping her, they think to the Thomas center. Thomas and, and so, um, 
he's like, I think they're triaging there. And I was thinking, and then my heart dropped because then I was thinking she wouldn't tell us if she was hurt because she's just concerned about us getting out of there. And, um, at this point we have a little more information because my niece is texting us, you know, um, it's on the news now. And it, they said that he's in a mandolin bay and we're like, yeah, he's right above us. <laughs> we can hear them and wow. kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, it was really scary actually for all of us. And, um, so we were telling the, the police that and he was saying that we should, um, in a half an hour go down and, um, go down to the um, stairs, downstairs to the, down to the bottom of the, bottom, lobby. the lobby. And uh, he'll try and let us get out of there because, but they were still sweeping. They weren't done with the rooms. They weren't done in the, in um, the parking lot either. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, the rank and file officers that were on duty in that situation, uh, there was all nationalities, all age groups, they were phenomenal. Um, I literally, when they came to our door, I was reluctant to open it at first too, because like I said, um, that, you know, I don't know if it's just people, you know, shooting up the place or what's actually going on. I was, I did have a concern, but when they, they did, uh, you know, address us and everything, they're very professional, uh, compassionate even, you know, they understood the situation and they swept the room. I did tell them the situation that our daughter, uh, was down there and, uh, they said, look, let me just finish sweeping this floor. Give us about a half an hour and you can go down the 10 minutes, half an hour. I don't remember exact, but give us time to sweep this floor. And then you can go down the, uh, uh, staircase or not the stairs, the, uh, elevator. And, um, well, you know, we did that, went down and, um, even the, uh, people at the bottom were, were aware of what was going on. We were actually the first ones they let out of the building. They actually had an escort, um, officer walk us through the uh, casino out to the parking structure because it was it was dead quiet there. There was, there was, there was nothing, no one, <laughs> no one there, no one, nothing going on. Like the machine, I mean, it was just so quiet, and it was it was just so weird because every time we went down, it was always busy. There was always people, you know, there was people playing games, people drinking. There was nothing. I mean, you could tell people left in a hurry because. There were still drinks on the, like, by the machines. There were tickets still left in the machines. I mean, people left quickly. So I don't, we don't know what went down, down there, you know, but I heard later that they sent them to the Michael Jackson um, theater and had them there, the people that were in the actual casino part. So they had them on on in there. At that point, um, they were walking us out to our, our vehicle and, um, they they walked us directly to our vehicle. They checked under our vehicle. They checked. I mean, they were. It wasn't like they just let us go, you know, like that. They they were they were so kind. I mean, at that point, I was crying for my daughter, and you know, one guy, one officer, just put his arm around me. He's like, everything's gonna be okay, and you know, good luck with your daughter. And they were just so kind and compassionate to us. Yeah, because we we actually were seeing these SWAT guys coming. Uh, back down the elevator uh, into this uh, into the uh, elevator lobby area right there, and they were all you know they weren't uh, they were just doing their job. They were you know great people. They, I thought they did a, an exceptional uh, job of being human beings to people. You know they weren't 
you know, you hear so much on the news how they're just terrible. No, they were great people. Yeah. And there was a look like a, a kind of a ranking uh, officer that uh, gave my gave my wife a hug and said, look, she's at the Thomas Mack Center now. She's OK. We're going to get you to your car. And they, they were just phenomenal. Um, you know, I don't I don't put the fault on them at all. As far as the rank and file, they were down there doing their job. They were phenomenal. I think it's I think it's but I think it's just a cover up from something going on, a you know, way above their heads, obviously. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. When you guys when you first saw the SWAT in the hallway, I think you said you saw it through a peephole. At yeah, that, the door people. OK, now at that point. Was there still gunshot going on above you? Could you still hear the gunshots going on? No. Uh, the first time, I believe... No, actually, the first time I saw them going through, there was no gunshots either. Um, okay. They were... Because I, you know, I kind of put two and two together at later point um, that they were just clearing the floor, you know, trying to find out where it was all happening. Um, but as far as at that point, I don't remember because I, I saw them at two different times. I'm trying to give me a moment. I'm just trying to remember if I heard any shots when they were on the when I saw them run past the first time. Um, there may have been actually on the first time because that was much earlier. It's the second time they started from down the hallway and they were coming up, and I said, "Wait, wait, make sure they're they're not just telling people to come out and then shooting us." Like I was right. really like trying to be prepared like are they making them get on their knees are they making them put their hands on their head if they're just bringing them out to shoot them we're not opening that door dude you know and he's like no they're letting him go back in their room and i was like okay because <laughs> i was really worried yeah no absolutely and you know when it comes to this i'm trying to draw like a timeline in my head and it's, it's hard so i gotta sure. talk it out uh they say 1008 is when the shooting stopped now, during the times you heard the shooting, was I'm trying to think of like you're right below this room, and you're seeing SWAT going. You don't hear, or did you? I can't remember now. Did you say you did hear, or you didn't hear gunshots? What when you saw the SWAT the first time? The first time, I think it was probably already over because I'm trying to. It's been a while, and I'm trying to kind of recall it in my memory as well. But I want to say. I don't think there actually was the first time because it had already been an extended length of time uh, during that. And I think that was just because they were going floor to floor to clear the, you know, to clear each floor. Because um, we're on the 30, 31st floor. I want to say they got to our room before five. Yeah, because it was this was going on all night long as far as, uh, you know, them, we were basically in the dark all night long. <laughs> right. um, but I want to say is, uh, or what I was going to say is, I think that actually there was no gunshots at that point because I think that they had already ceased as far as at that point. I'm trying to remember if it was... Yeah, see, I don't think there were... Actually, no, I don't think there was gunshots at that point because that would after... It was pretty much uh, the firing of uh, the guy on the floor above us was shooting out then they popped the door then they heard a gunshot and then from after that i remember there being a long period where we were waiting because like i said this was going on all night long um yeah no actually no i don't think there was any shots at that point because yeah that would have been yeah no there would have been none because they were still going 
you know, for hours this is going on. And that was the other thing too, is we kept trying to call uh, down to the, to the lobby oh, yeah. and uh, get some kind of information of what was going on. And it was, there was nothing you couldn't get through. It was just like the recorded thing and it would ring and ring and ring. But other than that, it was just, you know, kind of like radio silence. Hmm. The only information we had is whatever Claire or Blake texted it to us or whatever my niece um, and my, and that, that point, my sister started texting us. Like there was a guy at the, uh, at the Mandolin Bay who was shooting at the concert um, oh, on Facebook, they, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't go on Facebook, I don't think. I think that most information I got was from Vanessa. Well, me and Blake also only had um, his phone because okay. about an hour before the start, the shooting started, um, these girls, you know, they were just having a good time enjoying themselves. But they bumped into me. I dropped my phone on the asphalt, and it completely shattered. Like, the screen completely shattered. And so I didn't have a phone the rest of the night. So oh. the only phone we had was my boyfriend, Blake's. And so, and you know, he was on like 30%. So we're trying to talk to my parents. We're oh, trying yeah, to talk to my that. cousin and like, we're on a limited battery. And that was crazy. Okay. That was insane. Because whatever they'd say, we'd say to you or they'd say it through mm-hmm. whatever. We don't try. We're trying to all keep in communication. At least somebody always being in communication with Clarissa. Because she was our first priority. We wanted to make sure she was safe. Her and Blake were safe and that they were going to be okay. You know, they're, they're our babies. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you guys have rehashed this amongst each other. You guys lived through this event. And there's just so many questions around it still. You know, like, for instance, you said that you saw suspicious activity. Uh, I, I think you said it was in the lobby of the hotel. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. actually, uh, as you go from the Mandalay Bay uh, through that uh, sh- uh, court area of shops and stuff, go up the escalator, there's a, a like a long strip of uh, stores and everything, and then it connects into the Luxor. We're actually going up that escalator, and that's when she saw the... Actually, yeah, I saw him. Before that, when I, we were walking oh, the escalator, right, yeah. and then I was watching him all the way up the escalator, and then I got off the escalator and was still watching him, and then that's when you're like, come on already. <laughs> Can I ask you, now, with this guy that you found suspicious, uh, and, and uh-huh. don't be afraid to say anything you want to say. Just sh- share what you want to share. Um, when it comes to this guy... What was the distinguishing thing to you that made you feel suspicious about it? Uh, because, I mean, you're you're in Vegas and, you know, somebody could say, well, maybe he was just taking video and showing somebody of the amazing place that he's in right now in Vegas. He's excited and he's just sharing a video. Uh, what what about it was the, really letting you feel uneasy? Did, could you hear something that he was saying or the tone of his voice that made it made you feel like he was up to no good? Well, his demeanor, the way he he was talking, actually, it it didn't sound like, hey, look at this, guys. It was, like, very stern. And the person on the other end of the phone was also dressed in the same attire that he was. And that kind of made me uneasy, too. And I was just like, maybe, I don't know, maybe he was just trying to show his friends something. And that's what a lot of people kept, you know, like, my family when I was telling them this I said it wasn't that though it wasn't that it was just he was so just stern not 
it wasn't, there was no excitement in his facial expressions or anything. It was just, he was stern. He was talking, he was moving slow. He was just like directing it like at one exit because there was one to the right of us. There was one, um, and then kind of panning, uh, panning the camera around and then panning it to the, um, to the left and like stopping there where there was an also another exit that way. Actually, I think that one was to the front. And it wasn't like he was just showing them because there was also like that, uh, there was a bar on the side of us. There was another bar in the middle of it. Like it wasn't, it didn't seem like he was showing them any of that stuff. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just the way he would, his demeanor, you know, and um, the person on the other side, I don't know. It just, he wasn't laughing or anything. And I, I could only see him for a short time because I was actually walking and just watching at the same time, you know, right. as I was getting to the escalator and then all the way up. And I was just kind of looking at him and on the way up, I'm still looking at him on the way. When we, when I got off, I was still looking at him and he was, and I, it just made me feel so uncomfortable. And I thought, well, you know, when you're uncomfortable with something, maybe you should share it, you know? And I asked my husband, should I share it? And, and we didn't want to seem like, uh, it is Vegas. We didn't want to seem like, Oh, you know, or any type of, you know, racial profiling anybody or any, anything like that, you know? Yeah. At least that's how I think that both of us kind of felt at that time. And then I was just like, okay, I'll just dismiss it. I won't say anything. But then when the fire, the, you know, the gunshot started, I, that was the first thing I thought of is like, maybe it was something and maybe I should have said something because most people don't say anything. And then that's when something bad happens. But I was also getting bad feelings the whole time we were there. We kept hearing clicking sounds that for, cause we had checked in on Thursday and um, Thursday, we were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, um, those clicking sounds is what kept me up and we didn't know what it was. And I kept thinking, let's just move. But like I said, um, we were already settled and I was just like, okay. Um, you know, sometimes you just need to listen to yourself, that inner whatever. Yeah. It seems like you had inner tuition going on in that situation. And, uh, and you know, you were fighting with yourself. Uh, you just said that you heard clicking noise. Where did you hear the clicking noise? it, was it all over the place when or we, what? Mostly, mostly towards like the, the, in, in the room, we heard the yeah. clicking noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we were in our room, we could hear like this weird click. It almost sounded like a door closing, but without the wood, without the actual door, it was just that little click sound. Yeah. And we kept hearing it and we would hear like footsteps walking around all night and like, just that like constant clicking and like thinking back where like, was he like assembling his weapons yeah. and like disassembling yeah. them? Was he getting stuff ready? Because that's kind of like, after you think about it, you're like that, that is kind of how it sounded in hindsight, in hindsight. Right. You yeah. know, I, I would like to say, and I don't know if this is going to be encouraging to you or not. Like I told you before, I'm a truck driver, so take it or leave it. Uh, but you know, you, you felt like, you know, should I have said something? Should I have not said something? You know, we just had that big shooting in Florida. 17 kids are dead because of a guy named Nicholas Cruz who came in and shot up the place, right? 
there was a, yeah. he commented on a YouTube video, I think it was six months before he did this, saying that he wants to be a professional school shooter. It was reported to YouTube and the FBI, and nothing happened. And there's a lot of times that the FBI knows about these people, and still it happens. And so I would like to say to you that even if you would have said something, it doesn't necessarily mean you would have stopped anything because I, I'm very uh, disappointed in how the FBI have, has been handling themselves when it comes to these issues. It's been talked about how they will actually plant people who have a propensity to you know, want to commit a terrorist act and they will put them in a situation to help them get to the point of making that decision to do a terrorist act just to arrest them and sometimes that goes awry and it's there there's a lot of things that aren't talked about in your mainstream media uh but if you do some digging you find it and uh it it's just not going to be talked about on your you know cnn fox news whatever just like your story today nobody it's i mean i'm tony the truck driver that has a podcast and you found me how hard is it for cnn or fox news to find you guys they could have done it if they wanted to you know, it, it's not that hard right. to say, hey, I want to get an interview with the people below, the people above, and the people on the side of that room. It's not that hard, mm. you know? And so, right, right. go ahead, go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I'd say, yeah, you're right. Because, you know, when you uh, caused me to think of something, too, I even told the uh, SWAT guys uh, when they came to the door, you know, that I heard everything. And I told them on the bottom floor when we reached the lobby, I said, yeah, you know, just because I, you know, was just having a conversation with them. I said, yeah, I heard everything. I heard when you, when you guys breached the door, and I heard when you shot him. And they said, no, we we didn't shoot him. He was already dead. So, so they said that right uh, there. You know, the thing, yeah. yeah. The, so the the thing the thing is too is, um, you know, they knew that I knew you know, that I heard everything and along the lines of what you're saying is they, they have the ability, uh, to access our information, to access, you know, whatever they want. And they had, you know, here's a guy saying, uh, you know, because he's not thinking, Oh yeah, I heard every single thing. You know, I basically, you know, let him know that, yeah, I know exactly what happened. And they never contacted me or, or, or my wife. I actually called back, uh, to the hotel, uh, like a few days later, because I noticed there was a charge that I wasn't aware of on the, the bill. So I called to say, Hey, what's this extra charge? And, uh, you know, I told them that I was in the room and everything. They didn't really make any comments as far as, Oh, we'd really like to get in touch with you. Can we, uh, give your name to the FBI or any, any kind of anybody in authority to, to, uh, you know, pursue the matter. So it really, really sticks in my head that, you know, there's things that, that should be taken care of by our government, uh, specifically, you know, the FBI in this situation, and they're just either uh, caused to fester or caused to be overlooked because it doesn't uh, really work in the plan, you know, that they have for uh, having this buttoned up and everything. So that does, uh, does, right. does cause me to have some alarm. Yeah, and at first I was like, I didn't really want to say anything or tell anybody anything because I was like they're working hard to maybe they're working so hard to figure this out for us and then as months and months went on I was just like I don't think they're working to fix it I think they're working to cover it up because 
we have heard nothing. And and I heard nothing. The only thing I ever heard is when I go digging, and it's it's um it's information like from you, like when Claire found you. It's information from others that I've heard on um on the on YouTube. Yeah, it's not like something that um pops up on TV or pops up on our newsfeed on Facebook or anything like that. Right. I have to looking. That bugged me too. Like when I was, uh, when we got back and like, I was like going on the computer and trying to like figure out things. And what made me so frustrated was that every news outlet, you know, every magazine, everything was like saying the same exact thing, almost like a, like a script, almost like they were given a script and said, they said, Hey, tweak this up a little bit. So it doesn't look like it's like, copying homework from your friend like hey don't write it word for word just switch a word up you know and it sounded everything was just like exactly the same and like no real information was being given and that drove me crazy yeah and you know and actually actually this is our our first time really sitting down together and really opening up and talking together as a family either so thank you well, I really appreciate you sharing this moment publicly with me and the audience. I know I appreciate it. And I'm sure the audience appreciates it as well. So let's just take our last break right now. When we come back, we'll bring in this show for a landing. We're right back, everybody. YouTube, for instance, YouTube right now is in a transition. So is Facebook. They're in a transition period where they have to decide what they're going to be about. And they're actively censoring a lot of different videos that talk against a narrative that the mainstream media doesn't put out. And so say this interview airs on YouTube. I'm going to probably want to put it on YouTube. Uh, it would be, I'd be very surprised to find out that this video was not censored uh, because it just goes against the narrative. For instance, there's a guy who had a voicemail sent to him this past week and it was coded uh, by the alphabet in uh, the military language. Like it's like alpha, bravo, tango, and it's spelling something. And the coded message that it spelled was, uh, I I can't remember the exact message, but it was very creepy. And then he gets a message saying, stop sharing this voicemail on the internet. And he started sharing this stuff on uh, Twitter. And some people got a hold of it and they started making Reddit threads on it. And the Reddit thread, every time somebody submitted something, Reddit took it down. They took it down. They took it down. And I have people sending me messages today of screenshots of what they read on Reddit. And the first person who sent me a message 
I clicked the link. They literally just sent it to me. I clicked it within 30 seconds and it had already been taken down. And they said that they started taking these screenshots because everything was being taken down as it was being posted. And so like the internet is just in a funky stage right now where things are being censored. And when it comes to the Vegas shooting, uh, they're actively censoring stories like yours that goes against the main, the main narrative because they want it to be one shooter. They want it to be Stephen Paddock was dead once they opened the door. You have a different story. You say that you heard a gunshot after they opened that door. What's the reason for that Correct. gunshot? You know what I mean? Like if the person's dead, they're not going to shoot a dead body. So was there exactly. another was there another person in the room that needed to be shot? Was it Stephen Paddock that needed to be shot? You know, they on a previous show of mine, I had Rick come back to share more details. And one of the things that he shared was that Stephen Paddock actually had two rooms and there's a door connecting one room from the other. And Stephen Paddock was supposedly found dead in one room. The other room, the door that connected to that other room was locked from the other side. Yet there was shooting from that side of the room. So how did Stephen Paddock lock the door from the other side of the room? He would have had to leave that room, go into the hallway and come back into his room to where he shot himself. What would be the purpose of that? There'd be, there'd be no purpose of actually leaving your room and there's a doorway in between the two. And so there's a lot of things that just aren't being talked about on the mainstream narrative and people like you guys coming forward and sharing what you've experienced is really the only way people like us are going to actually hear an alternative view, you know, and I think it's very important that you guys are doing what you're doing. Thank you. That, that door that you're talking about, I heard that in your other interview and, you know, I was talking to my boyfriend about it and about to my parents when I first heard your interview. And I'm like, you guys need to listen to this. Like, he is bringing up some stuff that you need to hear because it's kind of hitting it on the on the nose with like what what we're talking, what we experience, what we're talking about. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that that door, like, it's how can you argue with that? Right. How can you just anything against that? And it just blows my mind. So and me, I, me, I always want to say, well, they just don't want to tell us everything because they're they're working on a bigger, bigger plan, but bigger issue, a bigger uh, ending. Like they're going to tell us like all this stuff. We're going to learn all this stuff, and but that's not what's happening. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know, there's a couple, just two things I'd like to add if I could. Um, one of them is uh, exactly what she was saying along that lines. Is I kept. Thinking, I'm I'm fine if they're investigating it and they can't have information out because they need to uh, keep that silence in that situation to right. you know bring down whoever needs to be brought down. That I'm fine with, but rewriting everything and then uh, a backup to when we're in the hotel room is you know the first there was never a point in time in my mind where I said, oh my gosh, I wish they had banned guns. Oh my gosh. If they just banned guns, um, because the only thing, quite honestly, I was thinking is how am I going to defend my my uh, wife and my and uh, myself? And you know, I only thing I kept thinking is, gee, I wish I had a gun, because I would rather go down uh, fighting as a human being than being uh, you know shot like a fish in a in a barrel. So you know that really bothered me when imme- when immediately they they keep taking it right to. Um, <clears throat> gun control, because I felt as though, you know, don't tell me that I don't and, you know, these others don't deserve the right to uh, have a gun when we're standing there 
a right you know, to protect ourselves. We have the right to protect ourselves, just like, um, you know, this individual ha- thinks he has, he or she, whoever was involved, has a right to take other life. We also, as uh, human beings, have the right to defend our own uh, person and, you know, and those in our uh, family. So I just wanted to throw that in, too. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it's disgusting how quick, and this is the, this is what the mainstream media is about. And this is why I don't plug in. I don't plug into Fox News, CNN, and SNBC. I don't, I don't plug into these sources unless there's something like happening in Vegas. And I just want to see what they're saying about it. But other than that, I don't plug in because they politicize everything to their agenda. Exactly. And exactly. When this Vegas thing happened, it was not long. I think it was probably within 24 hours they're already on the gun control thing. We need to get rid of guns. We need to get rid of guns. And you know, even I can't remember all the details, but I remember being disgusted because I, I went to CNN, they're yelling about guns, and I go to Fox News and they're yelling about something else and I'm like it's just a bunch of propaganda. And You're right. And you you know the um Everybody thinks that propaganda is illegal in the United States, and it was. It was at one time. At one time, in 1948, there's a thing called Smith-Munt Act, and in 1948, it was created that prevented uh, propaganda from being utilized in the United States. It was illegal, absolutely illegal. And then in 2000, I think it was in 2012, the NDAA made some uh, alter alterations, which is normal, but it allowed them to hide something within the NDAA, which was basically basically nullifying the anti-propaganda in this country. Since 2011 or 2012, propaganda quite literally is legal to be used on American citizens by their own government and media. And nobody talks about it because they don't want you to talk about it. So they don't talk about it on the mainstream media. You think CNN and Fox News is going to tell you, oh, by the way, we can lie to you legally? Of course not. Of course not. But the fact is, that's what's going on right now. And you have um, you have things like the DOD just recently at the uh, what do you call it? The, The Oscars, I think it was. That was just recently the award ceremony. They they put out a tweet. And I think this tweet should be something that sends chills down people's back. They said in this tweet. It's Oscar. It's I'll read this to you. It's Oscars hashtag 90 Sunday. And did you know that the hashtag DOD works with hashtag Hollywood to ensure the hashtag military is correctly portrayed in films? Question mark. Find out how these partnerships work and then they give a link. Be sure to follow our hashtag Oscars coverage over on at DOD outreach. Like. They are saying right to you that they go to Hollywood and work with Hollywood and the films so that they are accurately portrayed. Accurately to who, though? To them. Exactly. If there's anything negative, if there's anything that should be exposed to us as the American citizens as to what is going on, it won't be because the DOD is not going to say, oh, yeah, we did mess up on that. We did awful on that. A lot of people died on that. Uh, Go ahead. Say what you want to say because it's true. They're not going to do that. They have a close partnership with Hollywood now. And they're, they're saying it right out in the open on their Twitter page. And so propaganda is a very real problem in this country. And the mainstream media is feeding only narratives that they want, whether it's Fox News or CNN. And 
I think it's very important that people like you come forward and share on platforms that you're allowed to be, that, that you can share on. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys came forward tonight and shared with me uh, your experiences. And I'm going to share it with the world and hopefully that people hear it. And I, to, quite honestly, I hope that somebody hears your interview tonight and that is in a position to do something and actually contacts you after they hear this interview. Uh, what's your major vibe that you get from that night? So do you guys consensus, is your consensus that there was multiple shooters that night or do you kind of vary on that? I mean, I pretty strongly believe that there was multiple shooters just because of the fact the helicopter, again, like, I'm not completely sure what I saw, but I know that at that moment, there was not a doubt in my mind that that was what's happening. That was fact to me at that moment. It wasn't a question. It was fact. And just like when you like, again, again, the whole door thing just blew my mind when I heard it. And just, I mean, that's just like, how do you argue with that? How do you argue with that? And so I, I personally think that there was more than one shooter. I would not be surprised if we later found out that there was more than one shooter. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that there was more than one shooter, but I only heard what I heard. And it was a series of gun shots, pause, a series of gun shots, pause. I don't remember hearing that I really wouldn't know what to look for for that. I, I saw some video on um, the YouTube that uh, they were showing two guys firing at once, and it sounded the same. Well, I mean, could that have been? Possibly, yes. But I, my ears aren't trained to do that. But that's what I heard, you know? What about you? Yeah, I definitely believe there's more than one shooter. And even... um. I don't know if Claire had mentioned this before, but I remember her on the phone with me because she was, uh, when she was running from area to area and she got into the MGM, uh, it could have been actually a text too that she texted me later that they were thinking there was another shooter in the MGM. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, there was, um, talk about that amongst like the people that we were with, like, you know, people are saying, oh, stay in the casino. And then people are like, yeah, only if you want to die, run this way. Like, there's another shooter. And, like, then all of a sudden somebody said that. And I don't know if, like, they were just saying that. And then it caused a panic. But I do remember, like, five minutes after that, it was, like, a big panic. And everybody was just running and screaming again because everybody was certain that there was another shooter in the MGM. I never... Yeah, there yeah, there was a security guard. He said it he, first first it was just this guy with his wife who said it. And then they were kind of like walking away. So I don't know if he was like serious about it or he's like, "Hey, there could be another shooter. I'm not going to go that way." But then there was a security guard. After that, I didn't see him again. I didn't see that security guard again. But he also said that there was another shooter and so that's I think that was when everybody kind of went crazy and like started running. I completely forgot about that. And yeah, but thinking about it, I don't remember seeing him again that night. It could just be because, you know, 
a lot of people. It was a big panic, but I don't remember seeing him after that. The security guard. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I hundred percent believe my daughter too, saying that there's shooting coming out of a helicopter as well. And then uh, at that immediate moment, I was hearing the guy, you know, like I said before, as she's speaking to me on the phone, I'm hearing it coming out of, you know, out of my ear from both ends, one from the phone and one from above me. Uh, I don't see why it would be a far stretch of the imagination to to have two shooters. And the other thing, too, um, I guess it would be after the fact of just what I found uh, just from researching on my own is there's too many things that happen outside of that specific incident in the uh, surrounding hotels. I mean, it's just it seems to me as though what happened is there was more things going on, but they're just going to focus on just the one item being this is going to be one shooter. He's Steven Paddock. He did all these bad things. We got him. And fine, I'm glad they got him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was involved, 100%. Um, like I said, the, the, the police did fire, or the SWAT, I guess I should say, specifically fired when they went into the room. Uh, like you said before, why would you need to fire if the guy's already dead? Yeah, I understand adrenaline's running, but these men are specifically trained for these situations, it's not Barney Fife running into the room with Andy telling him to hold off. Right. This is, you know, these are specifically trained, you know, people who are here to deal with craziness every single time. And I have a hard time believing that they accidentally discharge their weapon or whatever they want to send it as. These are professionals. These are professionals. When I saw them, when they came to our door, they weren't. Barney Fife, we got to get out of here kind of thing. These were very calm, collective uh, young men uh, doing their job. And I, I, I think it, uh, I think it's totally believable that there was many more shooters. And, you know, like I said before, I think this was just one part of an entire incident that was happening in that city. I think there was probably going to be a lot more things that would have happened. Yeah. Simultaneously. You know, I, I have, I've heard so many different theories and people's ideas on what happened from terrorists to uh bad gun deal gone bad, uh, lots of different things, you know? And, and I just, you know, we, we know that in 2000, I think it was 2008 or 2009, you know, the whole fast and the furious thing where we were selling guns, uh, to our enemy and they wound up, exactly. you know, those guns wound up being used against our own soldiers then. And that whole thing blew up and, the illegal gun trade, that whole thing blew up just because we know that happened and they know we know that happened doesn't mean they stopped doing those kind of things. And so exactly. it makes you wonder, was Stephen Paddock, you know, being somebody who worked with, uh, you know, the CIA or something like that, doing these black operation things. I mean, we know he worked for Lockheed Martin, which is the number one gun dealer in the world. Uh, manufacturer wise. And so, I mean, and they say he was just an accountant. Well, how does an accountant become a millionaire? I'm sorry. I mean, I don't do much gambling and stuff, but man, you must be really good at gambling if you become a millionaire like that. Uh, You know, so there's a lot of questions left unanswered. You'd have the, the sheriff who says during his news broadcast to the world, he said that he believed that there was multiple shooters. Said something like, you know, come on people do you think that this was really just one person he said that you know and we see the sheriff breaking down over time you know we see him 
his demeanor really diminishing over time. And I really think that he was getting beat down by the FBI throughout this whole process. And he was a bystander to this. Um, did, did you notice that as well in his news conferences, how he just kind of changed? Yeah, that's that's why I was going back to even, like I said, you know, the, the professionalism of the rank and file guys who were there, they were good. They were they were doing exactly what they've been trained to do. They were the finest, you know, on that day. And I sincerely feel like, you know, they're being told, you need to shut up and sit down. We're going to handle this. And if you if you're asked to speak, this is what you're going to speak. Um, I have no problem believing that at all. I mean, I just, uh, you know, there's just too many things that go on in our government. I love our country, but I, uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't trust the government in every aspect. I don't, I don't think every politician is bad. And I don't, uh, I don't think every politician is, uh, necessarily out for destruction, but I know there's enough, uh, that goes on, uh, that's been proven through time that it's just, in history that there are things going on and uh, people left unchecked with power are able to do uh, some evil things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's very well said. Very well said because I mean, they, they brought this on themselves. You know, the fact that you don't trust your government, there's a reason for that. They brought it on themselves. We're in 2018. Communication is at the highest level it's ever been in human history. Never before in human history have we been able to communicate with each other with such ease as we do now from any distance. And I think that that is presenting a problem. Uh, we're As a society of, of humanity, we're learning at this stage in our existence, we're actually learning this new communication on a mass scale. And there's there's glitches to be worked out with that. And that's also with our government. They're learning at a mass scale that it's a lot harder than it was 50 years ago to keep things quiet because communication is on such a mass scale. And I think that they're learning a little too slow. Because they 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 are the ones that brought this on themselves when it comes to distrust. Because we now can communicate like this interview that's happening right now wasn't even possible ten fifteen years ago. It, it just wasn't. Exactly. And no, and, you're absolutely right. And so I mean, they have to adjust accordingly. And the only way in my mind for them to adjust accordingly to earn the trust back of the people is to be more truthful and honest and actually do things honorably. And there's been so much underhanded work going on where they, they are only that they were only out for themselves and we're seeing it now. The only way to reverse that is to be very public with what they do and to actually do what's right for the people. And I don't think they're ready to do that. No. And I think they fear that the uh, ability of the people to, uh, you know, ultimately, we have the Second Amendment not to, for hunting or, or in, enjoyment. It's for the protection of the citizenry against the government, not that we're all out to destroy the government. But the point being is it was, in, it was created as a, as a safeguard for the people of the country to take back their government should the government, uh, you know, choose to enslave them and, you know, become uh, – you know, some type of a government where they're forced to do just exactly what they're told and have no opinion and have right. no uh, say in, in anything. And that's, I think the, uh, I think people fear that, that are in government that no, we need to, anytime there's some kind of incident or anything that we can, uh, you know, market, we need to market, we can't have guns, we can't have guns. And we've seen that throughout history. Every, every unarmed uh, citizenry is the ones that get run over. Look what Hitler did. He, immediately 
uh, said, okay, we're collecting the guns. And then he, you know, was free and clear to do whatever he wanted. And uh, that's a scary thing. You know, the government, our our constitution and our branches of government were set up with uh, powers to keep each other in check and a constitution to guide the nation and to guide their, uh, their duties as officers of that nation to, uh, to serve the citizenry. And if we breached and we, we fall away from the constitution and we don't do our jobs properly, as uh, leaders, then we don't really have a uh, United States. We have nothing but uh, disorder. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's to protect against tyranny. And mm-hmm. it's funny, though. I, I just told somebody this today. They mentioned about the right to form a militia. And I told them, Correct. even though it's in there and it's your right, I think it's pretty much impossible to do in 2018 because as soon as you reform a militia, the government will label you a terrorist organization. And with their propaganda that they're legally allowed to do now, everybody will believe you are a terrorist organization and they'll either kill you or put you in jail. And that's where we're at now. We've let it get this far. We've let it get this far. And uh, I, I, I own guns. And I'm, yeah, I do too. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pro, you know, second amendment, obviously, cause I own guns. Uh, and one of the things that I, and I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm just not. But one of the things that I see is a city like Chicago, where there are supposed to be no guns and it's a gun free zone. And it's one of the most dangerous cities in this country. And exactly. And I, I, I sit there, and I, 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 I kind of look at it sideways. And I'm like, I know I'm a truck driver. I know I never graduated college. And I know I'm, I, I'm very honest with myself. I know I'm not the smartest person in the world, but it doesn't make sense to me that they disarm Chicago. And now Chicago is the most, one of the most dangerous cities we have. And there's other examples of that. And so I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, there's there's a lot of things here, and I, I do think it comes to, back to the fact that they are legally allowed to propagandize what we think. They are in control of what you think, and that's the thing that when it comes to like Facebook and YouTube that they're dealing with is that YouTube and Facebook right now are in the middle of a transition where they are deciding what's appropriate for you to see, what's appropriate exactly. and, and true for you to read. And so if it's not whoever's making those decisions at Facebook and YouTube, if it's not up to their standards of what true is, they will not put it in front of you. And so they are literally controlling what you think. Like people would say, oh, well, they can't control my thoughts. No, they literally can by controlling what they allow you to see. They're in control of that, not you. And uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named George Orwell. People that listen to my show know I'm a very big fan of this guy's book. He wrote it back in 1948, which is the same year that they made propaganda illegal. And he was actually a socialist and saw what socialism can do to a society. And he actually went the exact opposite direction. He wrote this book of him projecting what he believed a socialistic society and uh, would would become over time. And he called it 1984. He kind of just swapped the numbers of 1948 when he wrote it, 1984. And though his quote-unquote prediction was off years-wise, when you read that book, you look around in today's society, and it's a lot of the same things that he talked about in that book. He talks about in the book of a society where they control what you think, they redefine words, 
so that they control how you think about the words that you even say. And uh, it, it's just when you look around, it's what we're doing now. And uh, I, I know I know what I just said is going to probably tick a lot of people off and probably get a lot of hate mail for it. But it is what it is. You know, I'm I'm yeah, used to people getting no, mad at me. <laughs> Like, you're absolutely right. It's like the uh, it's like we're living in the video of Pink Floyd comfortably numb. You know, it's, it's sad. It's hello. Is anybody out there? <laughs> yes. You know, I, I uh, no, that's true. I used this example. I just saw this example one day. That's one great thing about driving truck is that. You spend a lot of time being bored, and when you're bored, great ideas are born. And I was just thinking about like how I feel like I'm living in bizarro world where everything's like backwards, you know. And I feel like sometimes yeah. I'm living in like a simulated video game where, you know, in a video game that has a storyline, you can choose what you want to do in the video video game, but only one path that you choose for that game will actually take you to the next level. The other paths, you die. And I feel like sometimes we're living in this simulated video game where we like, oh, all right, we're going to go down this road and that's not what they want us to do. So they cut you off and they redirect you to the path that they want you to be on. And I use that example with the idea of you had the shootings down in Florida and right after the shootings, you have a, a big thing where everybody's saying, take the guns or they're saying, arm the teachers and when you say arm the teachers, that obviously makes a lot of people uneasy, whether you're pro gun or not, because, you know, you have teachers with with guns in school. Now you're dealing with unruly students. How do we know that teacher has the proper fuse to handle a student that might get in their face? You know what I mean? Without go, overreacting. There's a lot of there's a lot of worries about that. Right. But and this is this was not yeah. talked about a whole lot. In fact, and, and you may not even heard of this, but just like two weeks ago, like literally just like two weeks ago. There was a teacher in, in, I think it was in Texas, who barricaded himself in his classroom and discharged his gun. There was no report of anybody dying, no report of anybody being injured. But I looked at it. I was like, it's like they're redirecting society's mindset and saying, this isn't a good option because this is what can happen. So get off that and get back on to taking the guns away. That, that's what it made me feel like. Because I was like, where did this come from? Who is this guy? What, where, where's this information? Like nobody's talking about the fact that just a couple of weeks after one of the biggest mass shootings for schools we've ever had, a teacher is barricading himself inside of a classroom and disarming a gun. Like nobody's even talking about it. Why? Uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I keep uh, wondering. Uh, are we in the Matrix sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it literally. I mean, I, I really feel like sometimes I'm, I'm going crazy. Like I'm just looking around like what is going on here? Like I don't understand how this is even possible, but we've let things get slide little things here and there. And over time it's accumulated. And I, I use this example a lot. The thief isn't going to come into your living room at noon on a Sunday while you're watching football and take your TV off the wall. What the thief is going to do is going to come exactly. through your window at midnight and take a lampshade. And then the next night they're going to come and take the table until all of a sudden you don't have anything and you've been robbed clean because they do it little things. So you don't notice it. And that's what I feel like they've been doing with us for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Exactly. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, it's, it's gotten out, out of hand and it, it makes me sad to think that, uh, they're manipulating the minds of, of, yeah. of kids. You know, these kids are already hurting because of what they've gone through and they're going to say, Hey, 
you know, we have an idea. Let's give gun control. Well, you kind of missed the whole point that it's already illegal to murder. That's kind of the big one right there. Uh, the, device used, <laughs> yeah. the device used to, to, to distribute the evil is really irrelevant in the sense that it's, it's still accomplishing the evil act. Murder is still the goal. Whether the guy went through with, you know, a knife, a gun, a bomb, or it's, it's really our grenade. It really doesn't matter. The point is, is he wanted to, to take life and it doesn't matter if it was one life or a million lives. It's still a life that he intended to take. And his avenue of, of distributing that wickedness was going to come through whatever means he could use. And uh, it really makes me sick to think that, you know, that you have that father that went in front of the, the people and said, hey, look, this needs to stop. And, you know, figure it out because it didn't happen again after it happened on the airplane. And now all of a sudden they, uh, yeah, no, no, we're going to just, uh, just take more, gun- we'll take bump stocks because that'll fix the whole problem. <laughs> I never even heard of a bump stock before we knew this happened. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. Glad you guys figured it out because now I feel so much safer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, and that doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, taking bump stocks away. I mean, if you're, if your whole idea is that guns are the source of all this, what's bump stock going to do? I mean, bullet yeah. is a bullet. It still gets fired. Uh, and, and so I think, I, I don't know. Like, it, it just feels like there's very, there's a whole lot of information being thrown at us from all different directions. And I think sometimes that's done on purpose so that it's hard to make sense of what's true and what's not. Uh, and I think we're yeah. living in that firestorm right now. Yeah, I think they just try and keep everybody so inundated with information that it's uh, nonsense. And here, look this way. Here, look that way. Look this way. People are eating Tide Pods and confused with which way to look. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tide Pods. Oh, man. Maybe it's is... the Tide Pods. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Tide Pods. <laughs> oh, Tide Pods. What are we doing? Oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, well, listen, I'm going to wrap this up here. I, I appreciate you guys coming on and sharing what you guys experienced and just kind of talking back and forth with me. Uh, before we get out of here, if each one of you could just uh, maybe just say something that you guys would like, just uh, your final words, whether it's uh, what you believe happened that night to uh, anything you'd like to say before we end. I just want to let you guys have an open floor before we get out of here. Um. Well... Yeah, I, I definitely would be more surprised to find out that it was one shooter, <laughs> you know. And um, my boyfriend Blink couldn't couldn't be here today, but you know, uh, we <laughs> talked about him a few times. But he was really the reason I made it out of there alive. And you know, when he hears this interview later, I just want to say, hey, love you, Blake, and you know, thanks for being there. Yeah. Yeah. Because that day, that night, um, Blake was actually going to go back to the hotel with, with, with Dave and pack. And I, me and Claire were going to go see Jason Eldine, but then I wasn't feeling too well. My, my stomach was kind of hurting. So I was like, ah, you, you kids go enjoy it. Have fun, but be safe. I love you. So I have some guilt there that I wasn't there with my daughter, but I also have a, some piece that God's like, uh, Blake got her over an eight foot wall. You weren't going to get her over that eight foot wall. And, you know, so I'm, I, I wish that wouldn't have happened, but I am grateful that Blake was there and was able to direct Larissa and be our hero of our family. I, 
I love him for that. And, um, and I'm grateful that they both, we all get to come home and so many people didn't. And my heart breaks for their families that have lost them. And I hope that they can have some type of closure through people just coming forward and telling their stories. I hope that not only will this help heal and mend my daughter's heart and mind, but also maybe whoever else listens, it can, it can start, you know, maybe it can be a bandaid for someone else. And I wanted to be supportive. Me and my husband wanted to be supportive of Clarissa and be here with her and just, you know, tell, tell our story and we got to share it together. And I think that helps us too, you know, and I'm thankful that you, you've given us a platform to, um, to share our, our, our story and to share what we had went through and hopefully giving somebody else a chance to say, Hey, if they did it, I could do it too. And, and, and maybe give closure to others. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for, for my husband and, um, you know, he talked to Claire and was able to make her feel safe on the phone and stuff. And I I couldn't do that. I was at a point where like just panic and didn't really know, really not a person of panic, but for some reason, just the thought of my daughter running for her life just made me flip out for a minute. (laughs) But um, I just, you know, think that and hope that there will be some closure and some more detail to come out for others too. I'd just like to say uh, thank you for uh, having the courage to stand up and say something's not right. Um, I think that uh, that speaks volumes of you. Um, and I think it's important that our, our people, our citizenry know that when something's wrong and something doesn't smell right, something doesn't look right, that we have the ability to say, yeah, I'm with that person. We're all agreeing. This this doesn't look right. And to bond together and say, hey, what the others that were there, or the people that are thinking about this, what what do you think? You know, let's analyze this. Let's uh, let's look at this more closely um, and find a solution to this or find an answer to this uh, because it, something's not right. And I appreciate that. And I also do want to say, as a parent um, and as a dad, and having a daughter, it's it's always uh, it's always scary as they grow up, and and they're gonna you know you trust them to go hang out with a with a guy, and you know he's a good guy, but you're like, well, what if something happens? And I I appreciate uh, the integrity and the uh, strength of this young man who put his life um, on. Uh, he covered my daughter's life with his life to uh, protect her from bullets that were real. Um, from however many shooters there was. <laughs> and I appreciate him laying down his life uh, for my daughter and getting them both out of there safely and having the uh, clear head to, uh, to to perform as he did. He did an amazing job, and I'm uh, forever grateful for him being there at that point in time. And uh, I'm very sad for the people that didn't make it out, and I'm thankful for the people that were in there uh, also, like Blake, who stood up and said, "We're gonna, um, we're gonna put our life on the line for others." And I think it speaks volumes of the of our nation and the people that are in our nation that we are we are good people, and um, that we uh, do have a concern for one another, and uh, that, that's what separates America from a lot of other places. So, 
that's what I'd like to say. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on and uh, sharing with the audience. And really, the pleasure is all mine, having the opportunity to talk to all three of you who were there and experienced things from a different vantage point, uh, being from the concert, from the hotel. And uh, Blake, if you're listening, you're awesome, man. Keep being who you are, because that being who you are is what allowed you to do what you did that night. And that just speaks volumes of your character. So I wanted to say that as well. And uh, guys, thank you very much for being here. And if you have any other things you'd like to share with me over time, feel free to text me, email me, however you'd like to do it. Uh, I would love to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope that you gained something from tonight's interview. I think that some of the best things that we can do as a group of people is to sit here and listen to somebody else share their story on what they experienced that night in Vegas. There's going to be details that are revealed in these stories that you're not getting other places. And that's why we're doing this. So I hope that you gained something from it. And I hope that you enjoyed hearing these people, this family, and what they experienced and how they've moved on from that dreadful night. If you've had an encounter or a story that you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me that email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. And I also want to let you guys know that if you are interested in seeing the video of the helicopter shooting that I was referencing during this interview, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. I'll be posting it underneath this show. I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe. Take care. And I'll see you right here next Saturday night on The Confessionals. Some days it's tough just getting up Throwing on these boots and making that climb Some days I'd rather be a no-show lay low Before I go out of my mind when she says, baby Oh, no matter what comes, ain't going nowhere She runs her fingers through my hair and saves me Yeah, that look in her eyes got me coming alive And driving me a good kind of crazy When she says, baby Come home fighting mad Feel like running my fist through the wall Is it even worth what I'm fighting for anymore Feeling torn all the hell with it all But when she says baby Every bit of mine 